this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. We decided we were going to explore the topic of relationships. And we're doing so because we got some feedback from a couple of our listeners, which is great. We love to hear from people who are enjoying the podcast. We got some questions about our relationship. How did it come to be given you were struggling with unhealed trauma mm-hmm. and these codependent behaviors and habits right. when we met in our and through the first couple of years of our relationship. It's completely understandable to me why somebody would wonder that given maybe their own situation or their own observations of how codependency may work or really any disordered behavior personality. Because one of the things that disordered behavior does is create problems in your intimate relationships. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the types of relationships you have had in your life, mm-hmm. including your relationship with me, which we describe as like relationships with healthy people. Yeah. And we've used that term before, healthy people. I just want to acknowledge that it's not really a very specific term. Obviously, yeah, this sure. will, it's not like I'm this picture of perfect mental health or right. <laughs> physical health. We're using it to describe people who have the majority of time healthy behavior habits, yeah. healthy interpersonal behavior habits. Interpersonal, that's the key here. It, yes. It, it, so know. it doesn't mean that if it's, you know, we're just describing them as a healthy person, that they're, again, that they're, they are always perfectly behaved and that they mm-hmm. don't do some things that are unhealthy within relationships. But just by and large, yeah. these are people who are not, don't have disordered behavior habits. Especially the kind that cause significant problems with interactions with other human beings. Yes, right. So fortunately, for the sake of this podcast and (laughs) the sake of my learning experience, my personal learning experience, I've been able to break my relationships down into three major categories, which kind of cover a large swath of types of relationships you can have, Mm -hmm. being the one that we explored in great depth in this podcast, which is behaviors with abusive, narcissistic type people. Relation- or really just any abusive people. Relationships with abusive people. Yeah. In, relationships you're with in case primarily, but not exclusively narcissists. Yeah, it's true. Not exclusively. It, yeah. Um, and and also when we say relationships, we mean any kind of relationship, mm-hmm. not a romant- just romantic relationship, but any relationship. Then the another type of relationship that I had for a very long period of time, which we'll talk about, is um, a relationship with a non-abusive, but also behaviorally disordered person kind of similar to me. Someone who had a lot of codependent habits themselves. Yes. And and other similar like kind of satellite behavioral issues like I did, which Mm -hmm. we'll talk about. And then ultimately, finally, healthy relationship. Relationship with healthy person, the most significant one being you. Yay. (laughs) So, yeah. So we're going to talk about, again, three types of relationships that you have been in. Mm -hmm. And in all those relationships, you had the codependent behaviors. Yes. And the unhealed trauma that we've explored. Right. So these behaviors showed up in different ways in each of those types of relationships. Right. Given that they were with different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. So certain ones would get triggered more in certain types of relationships than than others, but they were all there because it was unhealed. So So as you said, we we have a whole episode on the codependency narcissism link where we explore in depth the type of relationship you had with these two narcissistic abusive partners. Mm -hmm. And we explored throughout 
season one and season two, that initial primary traumatic relationship, your childhood friendship mm-hmm. that was abusive, not necessarily narcissistic. He seemed more kind of a sociopath of some yeah. kind. Yeah, but but is there anything that you wanted to just to recap before yeah. we start talking about the other ones? Yes, I mean the I think it's important to recap some key things that that'll help explain how all of, how my specific behavior type fit and got started with these different behavior types. So we talked about the the various aspects of of my brand of codependency mm-hmm. being largely this habitual powerlessness, like coming from obviously starting with the trauma, then from there exploding onto this kind of fear of people. Mm -hmm. And then this fear of people having to layer on top of that um, rationalizations of why I was afraid of people and why I felt alone and why, oh, it's because I'm uninteresting, I'm unattractive, whatever, make myself small, make myself invisible, but then resent people in the background because, you know, that that whole, we we explained that in pretty, pretty much in depth, but Part of that pattern, those patterns of behaviors was this lack of agency where I still had this authentic self that was going this whole time. I still had things I was interested in, people I was interested in, personalities that I enjoyed to talk to and and relate with. But the problem I had was that because of this powerlessness, this lack of agency, this kind of self-esteem issues and things like that. And fear of people. Fear of interactions. Even when I came in contact with somebody like, oh, I, I really like talking to this person. This person's really interesting. But what's... It's going to happen here if mm-hmm. I try to take this any further than this conversation I'm having right now. So I'm really enjoying myself right now, but... You feel a connection, but you don't know yeah, what to do with it. I don't know what to it's do with it. It's still scary. Yeah, right. So I just shy away. If the conversation end, ends and nothing happens, I walk away. I feel very disappointed that nothing else happened from that conversation, but that's it. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I went through life. And every now and then I would come across someone who tried a little harder to make a connection on their end. And that's when I look back through all the people throughout my life, almost everyone that I had more than one conversation with came because of that person kind of pursuing me, so to speak, Mm -hmm. going, wanting it to go beyond that one conversation. So unfortunately for me, we're starting here with this, uh, of the three different relationship types that I, that I found myself tied up with this abusive narcissistic type person, as we explained in that episode about codependency and narcissism there was this kind of common thread of how those people would get in relationships with people this kind of love bombing mm-hmm. bombarding them with attention and in communication and you know admiration and things like that and so it, it would go from that first conversation and for me it didn't really matter that i wasn't actually engaged when I look back on each people. of those people yeah and we're talking about so again your your, your two previous primary romantic relationships with R and J, but you also had friendships when you were younger that you now look back and see following that same pattern. Yeah, following the same pattern, similar personality types, started similar ways. With the love bombing and the overwhelming attention and this pursuit of you that you really needed in order to, to get into a relationship. And so we'll get a little more into the types, specifics of things that I myself found to be engaging and interesting about people that that attracted me to any type of person Mm -hmm. but it just so happened to be that these narcissistic people there wasn't something about them that i was attracted to 
there wasn't some kind of personality trait. It wasn't like I was attracted to narcissism, like this grandiose, mm -hmm. exaggerated, like I'm so cool personality. I wasn't attracted to that. You didn't find them particularly interesting or cool or charming. No, I mean, then. I could have. That's mm -hmm. the thing. I mean, there, there, it's a lot of this is chance, you know? Mm -hmm. So I could have met a narcissist that was very intelligent and I had great conversations with. That just didn't happen to be how it went. The kind of narcissist you <laughs> met. <laughs> no, I, I just happened to meet people that were actually kind of dull and not very interesting, but made themselves interesting with their grandiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I, I can remember meeting each of these people and, and going, oh, okay, here's a person. Oh, mm -hmm. and then, oh, uh oh, this person's like, showering me with attention mm -hmm. and yeah so this initial when i meet these people it immediately becomes how they're relating to me and because of my codependency my lack of agency and the fact that part of my brand of codependency was to make people feel safe and comfortable and things like that some of these people i know for sure were not successful at meeting people and often felt persecuted and unsafe and I and made they, these people feel safe. Right. And they would do this kind of shotgun approach, yes. which is yes, not uncommon for, for narcissists. It's just kind of love bomb everybody. Yes. And the people who respond, they're like, okay. Yeah. Kind of like fishing, right? Right. Yeah. And every now and then but they're fishing land. with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and then, I mean, obviously, I think that's a pretty common thing for narcissists to do is just try to collect people that, mm -hmm. that validate them, you know? Right. And so, I mean, I'm sure these people must have been attracted to me in some way, other ways too, but. Ultimately, it was just like, wow, this person's really kind. This person really listens to me. This, I feel safe with this person. And, you know, I overlooked bad behavior probably right from the start. You know, it's hard for me to remember all the details around the first week or, or, or something. But right. they obviously felt safe and they obviously felt as though they wanted to pursue me. And so that's how those relationships started ultimately was, was just like, not okay. based not based on your attraction. No. They were attracted to you because they saw someone that they felt that they could feel safe with, that they could control, that would validate them. Yeah. And because they were attracted to you, you felt in your codependent reflexive habit that you had to then respond yeah. with your own attraction or attention. Right. Back so to there's them. there's like, you know, an initial pull of like, wow, I'm being complimented. I can't mm -hmm. believe this. Somebody right. likes me, you know, because yeah. I have this low self esteem. But then also very quickly these people had these abusive personalities that I was habituated to catering to. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone directed abuse towards me, I was like, oh, well, I, uh, I need to appease that or I need, you know, I need to react this way to that. Not walk away, not see it as a red flag, but I need to validate them, make them feel comfortable so that they stop abusing me. I mean, that's just what I did from, from the G days. And they would just instantly be comfortable and feel as though they could get away with anything. And then immediate power and power imbalance, like right from the very start. So that's how those relationships started. And then from there, obviously, we've gone into great detail on how they continued and you know, the trauma bonding and codependent behaviors, the compartmentalization, the all the satellite behaviors that, that intertwine with that. They got you stuck there. Yeah. I got me stuck there. So that's how you got into relationships with abusive people, yeah. largely narcissists. Mm -hmm. And again, how those relationships played out, especially with R and J, we describe in great detail in season one, episode four. Yeah. How did you connect with other disordered people or codependent people? What what did that those types of relationships look like? Well, I have one big example of of this type of relationship we're talking about here, and it was a very significant and long lasting relationship that started in my senior year of high school and lasted for about 13 years with another disordered person that had 
kind of a very similar history. Childhood trauma, a lot of codependent traits that obviously I didn't know about then. He didn't know about then. Yes, you're reflecting back. Yeah, this is reflecting back. You didn't use those words at the time. No. Yeah, and then and then he had his own set of kind of satellite behaviors. You know, I have my compartmentalization, emotional dysregulation. You know, he had emotional dysregulation too, but his his just looked different. He just had kind of different satellite behaviors. But we jived. Those behaviors eventually became like with within a few years, we became this sort of safe harbor for each other. And this was a, a best friend. This was yeah. not a romantic relationship. Yes, this was a, a this friend. Was, mm-hmm. Um. And we both kind of were were slipping further and further into just validating each other's fears and just feeling so safe at home when we were hanging out with each other mm-hmm. that we just... Because just, you lived together for many years. Yeah, we lived together um, for a long time. And we kind of isolated each other from from the world. Um, we'll always have conversations about how what we wanted from life. You know, we both wanted romantic partners and families and things like that and a full life. But... That was always in the future. It was always like, we'll get there. You know, for now, we just need to focus on this and that, you know. And because it was, as you said, there was, for both of you, a lot of fear attached yeah. to interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And you here you found one that did feel safe. Yeah. And, and then we would kind of validate each other's fears. Mm-hmm. So we would talk to each other about our experiences when we went out in the world, like went to our jobs and stuff like that and mm-hmm. come home and go, Oh my God, I had this really awkward conversation with so-and-so or like, just, I felt this person was looking at me weird or whatever it was. We would just always support our, our fears. And then, and then just go, Oh boy. Well, anyway, so great that we're back home and hanging out, you know? And it just, it was this thing that just kept going on and on like that. And, it was kind of like a drinking buddy. It was like a, co- yeah. a codependent buddy. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of <laughs> like fun. We're both, we're both afraid and powerless, but we have each other. At yeah. Least. But to make it even more for me, something that I allowed myself to just sink into and and always give into this fear and, and stick around was that I had an intimate connection with him. Mm-hmm. Like we had great conversations. We sat there for hours talking about personal, intimate things. We didn't have the self-awareness that I have now. So I didn't know about my trauma. I didn't know about various things, but it, it, it solidified for me. Yes. This is the type of just relationship that I want to have with With other other people. Right. You know, it just didn't seem possible. Yeah. Outside of that. It didn't seem possible in relation with any other human being. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really did want a romantic relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just, I still felt a very low self-esteem. Both of us did. And mm-hmm. it just started to continue to deteriorate. I think it's important to say here that a lot of my codependent behaviors were not activated. So mm-hmm. a lot of the behaviors that were activated when I was with the abusive people were I'm emotionally regulating them and, and in this people pleasing freeze or, or fawn mode mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I didn't find myself often in a freeze or fawn mode. I wasn't triggered. Right. But you could have disagreements with him. Yeah. And I felt safe. We, we actually talked about our disagreements and, mm-hmm. and talked about our communication when we disagreed and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it was a good relationship other than the fact that we were both disordered and kept each other stuck like that. Mm-hmm. What I did find myself falling into is all these, a lot of these satellite behaviors. So the compartmentalization, I hardcore compartmentalized the fact that I was largely unsatisfied in my life and it felt like I was going nowhere. And I also compartmentalized the fact that he would communicate with me how unsatisfied he was with about not having these things. And I would say, it's okay. No, we'll get there. It's all right. You know, just mm-hmm. like constantly saying, it's all right. It's all right. No, mm-hmm. we'll, don't, don't worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And you were still very shame filled. Yes. Yes. You feel a lot of shame about who you were. And yeah, I was filled with shame. I had a lot of resentment. 
mm-hmm. had a lot of resentment for people that I didn't even know, just people that had things that I wanted. I mean, that sounds like envy, but it felt like resentment. Angry at them. Yeah, it was kind of like I was angry at the world for just being successful with with interpersonal relationships, you know. And then when he started to struggle, yeah, as he did with substance abuse, mm-hmm. you've said that he struggled with depression, yeah, as well mm-hmm. as you did. And again, like you had unhealed trauma, yeah. And when he turned to substance abuse, some of your codependent behaviors were activated in that yeah, way because you kind of went into the kind of classic caretaking yes, right. version of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I found myself like, okay, fine. You know, doesn't have a job. I'll pay for the rent, this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure that he is just stabilized more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but also not really helping him, not really knowing how to help him, right. not doing a lot to really find out what I could do to really help him psychologically and emotionally. Right. Yeah. Eventually he just fell apart. Mm-hmm. And we had to go our separate ways. And that's how that ended. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he went into rehab a number of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, unfortunately for me, a lot of times, basically any time I met someone that I wound up getting in any sort of relationship with was when I kind of made myself available in a way. You know, so when I met him, I was available. I was like, I was having a really hard time in high school. And, and then I was like, I'm going to join drama and all this stuff and, and then meet people. And, and then I met him. So it was kind of by chance, but it was nice that mm-hmm. I met someone through that experience. It was kind of a plan and an execution. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also when I met the narcissistic partners, it was the same sort of thing. Like I, I was very good at keeping myself invisible. And, and, but when I wanted to meet someone, I was like, okay. Here I am. Here I am. Stuck your head up. Start talking to me. I'm going to talk to you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I took it. It it was within a year after going my separate ways from from the friend that we were just talking about um, to meeting R and the first abusive eight year relationship that we talked about. Right. So, I mean, we've kind of discussed this. It's how you have described yourself as hiding out in this in this long-term yeah. friendship, both of you hiding out together. And yeah. then because you felt that the world was unsafe and mm-hmm. hostile to you, mm-hmm. and then you decide to poke your head up and down swoops a narcissist yeah. and yeah. actually proves you right. Like, yes, yes the yeah. world was it unsafe was <laughs> and hostile right. to you. Yeah, so picture that. So now to jump back, because now we just talked about this relationship with the Mm non-abusive disordered person i had this benchmark now ah yes this is what an intimate relationship can feel like right and a safe connected a safe connected like respectful Mm -hmm. uh common interest intellectual compatibility Mm -hmm. everything that i wanted in a human interaction basically other than you know i wanted also romantic but um when this relationship with r started I didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an in- intellectual compatibility. I didn't wasn't particularly interested in the things she was interested in, except that it, I was like, well, I can't believe I'm I've, someone's interested in me. Right. Wow, you know. Yeah, you didn't even really have the physical romantic connection. With yeah, you. yeah, that that was was with with either of right. No, that became dysfunctional very quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, but I remember for the first. I don't know, six, six to 12 months of the relationship with R going like, wait a second, this is not what I envisioned. Like that, right. this is not the type of connection that I, like I was wanting 
a relationship similar to what I had with that friendship, but a romantic version of it. But this was nothing like that. This person's insulting me. Mm-hmm. This is like I feel like sh- sh- I I feel like crap all the time with this person. Like mm-hmm. this this is doesn't seem right. But is you know I just rationalizing it immediately. Yeah, you know because so, you were stuck. And then eventually just completely forgot about that. And one of the things that R did was to trash friendship that was remaining between you and In your that, best friend. That friend, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it was. She shamed you for she, shamed she insulted me for being him, friends with him. She belittled shamed, him. Yeah, she shamed me for everything that I told her about that friendship and the things we did and mm-hmm. and the way we were and the way we decorated our house and mm-hmm. and it, everything was just like kind of like everything that happened before you met me is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this kind of your whole past says that you're a loser, but now that you're with me, you're great. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but he was part of that. And yeah, she basically was like, okay, you're not talking to that guy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which may have been really, I didn't want to end that friendship. And I feel awful about that. I've recently reconnected with him just to have some conversations and kind of try to get on a different wavelength of, from that stuff. But yeah, I was honest with him about that. You know, that that's something that narcissists do is kind of isolate you and yeah. So that brings us to your relationship with a healthy person. <laughs> yes. Right. So the way we met was a very fortunate real world meeting for me mm-hmm. that it was fortunate in that we met in a social setting in real in real life mm-hmm. and you were sitting there by yourself and I was like, ah, there's of course initially it's like there's a beautiful woman sitting there by herself. <laughs> I want to go talk to her. And it was very fortunate for me that I did that because that gave me a little bit of sense of agency. That you made the first move. That I made the first move, that mm-hmm. I made a choice. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down and we proceeded to have a conversation and, it, and I was instantly grabbed by the fact that you were that type of person that I always wanted to interact with. This int- intellectual compatibility that was obvious right from the start. And then this kind of the way we talked was the type of engaging that I like this kind of just the the comfort level of it as if the things that we talked about the, yeah I yeah. think from both of our sides we felt kind of an instant connection yes like you feel with with some people that you meet you yeah this is a person that feels like a friend yeah that yeah. feels this is my type of person <laughs> yeah so it gave me that familiar feeling that I used to get anytime I would get in a great conversation with someone mm-hmm. and I would get excited I mean this is not the type of stuff I was such a compartmentalizer that I would kind of not really recognize that stuff. I mean, if I was a healthy person, I would have known, ah, yes, I'm excited. That means I, <laughs> I like this person, mm-hmm. but I was, I would just have more vague feelings. Like I knew that I was, I was grabbed by you and I really wanted to get to know you more. Yeah. I don't remember how long our conversation was. There were some other people there, so, mm-hmm. but, um, the best I could do was just send you a message after, uh, very just it's great to meet you <laughs> I, I hope we cross paths again someday something like that you know just like very passive and yeah. uh, so right but i didn't really notice it as passive yeah particularly um you know it, it was kind of a slow start which was yeah. which was fine right you know to me it felt kind of natural that was you know there was some back and forth texting and yeah. and then you know an eventual an arrangement to, to meet up i mean that part was a little bit funny because yeah. you know we've been talking about this this place that I like, this whiskey bar that I like to go to. And, and you said, 
this was over text. And you said, what was that place that you said you liked? And I, you know, gave the name of the place mm-hmm. and described it a little bit more. And you said, yeah, I'd be, I'd be down. What did you say? I'd be down to check that out. I like that. Yeah, you, I'd be down to check that out. <laughs> so and then I just kind of paused. Like, what does that mean? Exactly? Yeah, for a few minutes. Because I was like, is he going to ask me out? Or <laughs> and no, you didn't. No. So I said, yeah. would you like to? <laughs> So, Go you know, Wednesday, but this is how a, a lack of agency asking someone else. Kind of looks, <laughs> yeah, you, you, right? you made me ask you out there, yes. but that was clever. Yeah, yeah, not really, but, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, it felt kind of natural for me, but I, I think it was kind of unnatural yes. for you because your prior relationships involved love bombing. Right. So I didn't need and to do that. And it started immediately. I you didn't know, even like the first seeds. day you were in a relationship. The first time I talked right. to these people almost, right. you were in a relationship. No, with it, them. no I was. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From from the very first conversation, it was daily it was daily contact and then, you know, within a week like making significant relationship, relationship decisions and moves right. and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what I was used to. And so these planted the seeds is like, wait a second, this person's not I thought that was a really good conversation. Why aren't they pursuing <laughs> me? me? What's going on here? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what the average healthy, uh, emotionally mature person does. Right. But we managed to go <laughs> out on dates and start seeing each other. And yeah, I think we both felt an instant connection across a number of categ- important categories. Yes. You know, physical connection, as you say, intellectual connection, yeah. emotional connection. Yeah. Interests. Um, you know, a lot of things lined up, a lot of obvious things lined up right from the start. We just seemed totally compatible on so many different levels. And it was not something I was accustomed to. It was basically what I had been looking for. But I was so immersed in this world of abuse and compartmentalization that it was difficult for me to really recognize it first. I, Looking back, my emotions felt it. I felt mm-hmm. it inside mm-hmm. more than I, than, than I felt it. Uh, consciously and i think it wasn't just matching i mean you what you were used to is matching other people's yes bending yourself around yeah yeah so they're expressing some you know oh, i really love this and i go Mm -hmm. okay well yeah i'll try that sure yeah i like that now i'm doing that yeah but instead with us it's like oh you like that Jeez, I like that too. Well, it it was well. So you express things that you liked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and introduce me to to new music and yeah. and, and new ideas and yeah. new experiences. I mean, you brought all that to the table. Mm-hmm. So my experience of you during that early period was largely of the authentic you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't think your codependent behaviors were activated obviously there were and still are some habits that now we recognize as coming from that source of the trauma and the codependent responses but they weren't front and center you didn't seem disordered (laughs) yeah i mean not initially yeah because you know in the earlier stages yeah yeah we were having this connection and so Mm -hmm. there wasn't and you weren't abusing me so i wasn't triggered and, Mm -hmm. and i wasn't so not fawning and I'm not in freeze mode and and stuff like that. Yeah. So we had this initial, both of us attraction and connection. Yeah. That was pretty strong, really kind of recognizing in each other people that we felt we were meant to be with or be connected to. It started to become more difficult. And I think some of your codependent behaviors started to get activated Mm -hmm. as we move towards real intimacy. Yeah. Right. Emotional intimacy, particularly. Yes. I started to kind of push for that wanting to know you more, wanting to be known by you. Mm-hmm. 
And that was not something that you were comfortable with. Yeah. And that you had not had in your previous romantic relationships. Right. I had had it in my life with that friendship with the other non-abusive disordered person. But it had been so long. And that was I was so alienated from that experience Mm -hmm. that not only was I not used to real intimacy, I had a lot of what I like to call shame landmines to where yes. it was, I had a lot of fear around actual intimacy. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to, but I did at that point. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of conversations that were really difficult. Like it got very difficult very fast for me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then you would behave in ways that I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, that were often confusing to me mm-hmm. and sometimes even hurtful. Yeah. Um, because you were protecting yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of reflexively against yeah. intimacy, really. Yeah. Against being known. Yeah, right. And, you know, that often led you to say things that were kind of insulting to me sometimes. Uh-huh. Right. Certain, sometimes dismissive of me. Yeah. Um, or just very inappropriate at very bad times. Yeah. Like shame venting, mm-hmm. which we've talked about, which is just, I'm trying to process some kind of shame. Something reminded me of shame, either because of conversation we're having or somewhere we were like a location or something Mm -hmm. and i'm just suddenly processing shame out loud Mm -hmm. trying to help help you to help me resolve it somehow with this vague comment that has nothing to do with what us or where we are (laughs) right so i mean we talked a little bit about this in the loving a codependent episode Mm -hmm. uh last season that you know one of the ways this came out too is you had a lot of shame around your relationship with jay she still had access to you You were you know processing the end of that relationship yeah yeah and you needed help to both make yourself believe that you were the better person in that relationship and that she was terrible and it was good that it was ending yeah but then also you wanted my help in making you not ashamed of that relationship making you think well but you know it ended but it was a fine relationship and this was a this was a perfectly acceptable partner for me to have it just didn't work out sort of thing so uh, you know i was being as your kind of new romantic partner being (laughs) employed (laughs) to help you process the kind of shame and confusion you were feeling about your relationship with jay which really all it did is put that shame on me and then i had shame and confusion (laughs) about being in a relationship with you and and you haven't been in this relationship with jay none of what i was giving you was useful Mm -hmm. Uh, or really all that correct other than just like basic details but none of the emotional part of it was correct so mm-hmm. I, I was almost like forcing you to to validate me like you said val- that i i'm a, i was a better person but also validate the relationship yes at the same time it's like what, what which is it yeah kind of, but know? also why is that my role like I I, that yeah, shouldn't be my right. role and I, I shouldn't have to do either of those yeah things. shouldn't i come into this new relationship with this knowledge already like right. normally people would learn from their experiences and i hadn't yeah and then all. you know and there was the behavior of that we also talked about in, in that episode where you would say one thing and you would do another mm-hmm. and it would again confusing yeah <laughs> um yeah what can i trust you so this so we went through a period where there were there started to develop pretty significant trust issues yep. so for me trusting you um not to say that you were untrustworthy in the sense that you were deliberately duplicitous and manipulative mm-hmm. i mean you're not untrustworthy like a narcissist is, is untrustworthy sure. it was more are you trustworthy do you know yourself enough yeah. <laughs> can you behave consistently enough yeah. that 
I can rely on you and my knowledge of you to be in this relationship safely. Yeah. And you had problems at that point trusting yourself. Yeah, I did. Right. And I, I, and one of the many problems was that I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know. That, I didn't know that I had low self-esteem. I didn't know that I had I lacked a lot of self-respect, but I also didn't know all these. But once you discovered those things, those actually caused you to lose trust in yourself. Yes. Yeah. I even got less trust in myself. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Well, so I've just all this time been telling people what they want to hear. And Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And I'm not even sure what I want and what I need for my life. I don't understand why I was in those relationships. Right. And things like, well, why have I always struggled to express anger and things like that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I Like, does that mean... That I don't know what makes me angry. I don't know what I'm. What makes up my personality, basically, you know. So we went through this. Yeah, it was a difficult period because yeah. we would try to have these conversations and try to resolve my trust issues, but my not trusting you would often trigger you and yeah. cause you shame because yep. you felt you were disappointing me and yeah. And you couldn't give me the answers that I was looking for. Yeah, there were times where in a good intimate relationship, we care for each other. There's mm-hmm. a give and take of like, sometimes I need to be cared for. Sometimes you need to be cared for. Right. I wasn't there for you. If that came anywhere near implicating me somehow, as if like if it triggered any shame at all, suddenly I'm in freeze mode now. I'm right. triggered and I can't care for you when I'm in that mode. Right. You so, can't really even respond. Yeah. Which then would kind of make it worse, right? Yep. Because if it, it was a case where I was like, I'm really confused and hurt by your behavior. Yeah. Can you explain it to me? Yeah. And, and you like, get oh, triggered. <laughs> I'm being judged by you saying you're yeah. confused at my behavior. Yes, you get, get triggered, you, you know, because in the past, if someone was confused and hurt by mm-hmm. what you did, you could get abused, right? Yeah. So, this, But we didn't really understand completely understand that no. dynamic. And even when we did, it's still hard to get, get away from that sure. feeling. Right. Um, so I would express maybe confusion and hurt and you would, as you say, freeze mm-hmm. or try to dismiss it or, you know, yeah. I said all I'm going to say about that, which right. would just make it worse for yeah, me, right? Exactly. Because it's like, like, what is he hiding? Or right? like, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, we found a therapist, uh, we went to a therapist for a little bit yeah. to try to have these type of conversations where we both felt that we needed to be cared for mm-hmm. because we d- didn't want to get in the dynamic of it was just me taking care of you. Yeah. I mean, that's not sustainable Yeah, over the long course, I think. You expressed really well in, in, in words what it was you were looking for. And I wanted the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, I had had it. What I thought was similar to that before. I was now reminded of With that friendship friend. from, from yeah. 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. Yes, this, this, this is what we're talking about here is mm-hmm. what I thought I had then. I was a lot younger and sure. immature, but yes, this is what I want too. What can I do? How do I get there? Right. I don't but want then to be when dishonest. I, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't want to be exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But every time you, we try to move us towards there, yeah. uh, you'd be, your trauma would get yep. triggered. And, yeah. And so we'd, um, went to a therapist to try, you know, have a more of a safe place for us to talk. Mm-hmm. But we also continued to talk almost every night yeah, about, about yeah. these issues. Yeah. And we went through the healing process in season two. So there's a lot more details there. Yeah. And we, w- we went through it together. Yeah. And it, it involved all the things we talked about, learning to sit with shame and, and yeah. developing self-reflective pr- practices. And But one thing that was really helped turn the corner in terms of this impasse we arrived at where 
we both needed to be cared for. Mm -hmm. Like I needed some reassurance that I could trust you and what you were saying about our relationship and about yourself yeah. and yeah. about our future. And you needed to be able to trust yourself that, that what you were, you were saying all those things and that, that, yeah. that you would not be punished or abused. Well, if, if my body had, needed com to, yes. to come around mm -hmm. to being okay with any sort of, displeasure you know like anything coming from you that wasn't anything other than just safety yeah. yeah you know well one of the things that really helped us was we listened uh to an episode of Esther Perel who I've mentioned before mm -hmm. uh, is a, a psychotherapist largely working with couples has a great podcast where should we begin and we can link to this particular episode in our show notes because we listened to it and it was about a couple who were in a long-term marriage and, and the wife recently learned that the husband had been sexually unfaithful for pretty much their whole marriage, mm -hmm. which she thought was a happy, fulfilling marriage. Yeah. And they were struggling to process what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. So he was obviously filled with a lot of shame mm -hmm. and he was doing a lot of work to try to figure out. And he had had sexual this. trauma in yes. his past, which he knew. So this was part of like, it's yeah. kind of like he knew some of this stuff, but he, he was just exercising these behaviors kind of reflexively and, mm -hmm. and not really spending the time trying to figure it out. So he was in this kind of early stages of really finally diving in to figure out what was this problem, this addiction that he had. Mm -hmm. And he was not there for her at all. She was hurt, majorly hurt. Can you imagine a, mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. relationship that long, mm -hmm. learning that the whole entire thing... He wanted to be there for her. He did, yeah. But the problem was, every time she would try to bring it up, he would go into a shame spiral and then make it about him. And then suddenly he's defending himself, he's justifying things, and, and he's not listening to her at all. And she's, tr she's forced to care for him. Yeah, yeah, right. So she's hurting badly, and now she's caring for him again. And so Esther comes in and says, you know what? You need to learn to actually just listen. Just be there, be present for her when she's expressing these things. Not turn it into you, not take, a, take it on or turn it into a shame spiral, but be there, listen to it. What can I do? What can I do to help you in this moment mm -hmm. type of attitude, which was totally different than what he was doing. And this was so helpful to me because that there was, even though the details of our situation were totally different, I was doing a similar thing. Anytime you were expressing something that was difficult and painful for you to process, if it gave me shame, I couldn't listen to it. I mm -hmm. turned myself off. Now I'm inward. And now I'm expressing this shame in a way that's kind of overpowering your experience. And I'm like trying to enlist you to, to help me with that, which is what he was doing in the, in this episode. So the way she worded that was just so, oh man. And on that, we were listening to the episode on the way to a weekend camping trip and we got to actually test it out. Mm -hmm. And you had brought up something that you had brought up a few times before that always sent me immediately into a shame spiral that I just could not process. And I processed it in a totally new way. And right. you, were, this, you were able just to listen to me and just yeah. to hold me and just to feel bad for me that I had been hurt. Mm-hmm without taking it on yeah. yourself without yeah. as a judgment of you and i think that sort of planted the seed of empathy for me like it mm -hmm. it it's it 
separated empathy from this shame spiral. It kind of like put up, up a wall in between to where like I could, I saw us more as individuals and I was able to be there for you separately from trying to be there only for myself. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to imagine having real intimacy without empathy for the other person. Yeah. Right. I mean, so if you're such in self-protective mode, as a lot of people who have unhealed trauma and struggle with codependent behaviors are, yeah, they because they were not protected in the past, so they just have to felt they have to be constantly self-protective. Yeah, it, yeah, it can be hard to connect with real empathy, not people pleasing, like we talked about. Right. No. <laughs> Yeah, last episode, not just like trying to caretake and make people feel okay, but like real empathy, like real, including feeling empathy for people who were hurt because of behaviors that you did. Yeah, right. And not and being able to actually sit with that and from the other person's perspective at simultaneously with my own perspective, Mm -hmm. and rather than feeling shame too. So there's there's a whole suite of self-reflection that needs to go into this to where I had to understand what my emotional signals were telling me. I had to understand what shame was and, and kind of learn some tools for dealing with that. So all of these things I was doing simultaneously as we were working on this stuff. So it, it was, it's difficult to just suddenly get empathy if you also have this unexplored trauma and shame triggers and stuff like that. So it was kind of figuring out a way to process all of this. Mm-hmm. And and make this big shift from these old patterns. So basically, that's the, that's kind of the story of the long beginning, yeah. <laughs> where we meet. There's, I feel an instant connection and attraction yeah. to authentic Brian. Yeah. Coded Pen and Brian's kind of waiting in the wings to yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, I might need to do something here. It's yeah, it's right. yeah. Doesn't get you know, doesn't get activated for a while. Yeah. Uh, but as we get deeper into being in love and and wanting to feel intimate and connected, he starts to make more and more of an appearance, and we start mm-hmm. and it's we start to have these discussions about what's happening here. Yeah, um, who is this person? This codependent right. Brian. <laughs> right. So you know, ideally, obviously, it would have been a lot more comfortable for both of us if I had already done a lot of this work before we met it would have been less pain less shame but you know i'm just grateful that we are where we are um and it's hard like we talked about during the healing codependency season it's hard to imagine doing this on your own like you do you do need someone yeah yeah people uh and have those loving connections again just one of the real kind of tragedies of the codependent behavior habits is that they prevent you from having the intimate authentic connections yeah that you need to have to heal the trauma and the hurt that you experience in your life so right so there's i think a, a misconception that people have that people with codependent behaviors are attracted to these yin and yang or like these abusive mm. narcissistic behaviors like mm-hmm. somehow like that's that pulls me in because mm-hmm. i have these behavior traits that fit well with those it, it's not how it worked at all for you it didn't, it's not how it worked for me yeah there may be people that are that have different a brand of codependency where it's more about uh people pleasing for for self-esteem or something like mm-hmm. that there's a lot of different kinds of things but in mine in particular and hopefully some other people that listen that have some similar things 
it was helpful for me to look at it that way. I wasn't attracted to these people and I didn't need to make some kind of changes to my personality to suddenly be attracted to healthy people or something. I was attracted to healthy people the whole time. I mm -hmm. had an authentic self that was mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. These codependent behaviors were a layer, a distraction, basically, from mm -hmm. my authentic well, yeah, self. It made it, unfortunately, again, it made it difficult to access the healthy people yes. and it made it too easy yeah. <laughs> to get in relationships with the disordered yeah, exactly. people. Exactly, right. Ultimately, it's about clearing away these disordered behaviors and just, just getting to the root self, the authentic mm -hmm. self. So it's not, I'm not recreating myself. All I'm doing is repairing damage. I like the clearing away metaphor as well. Removing all these layers of baggage and crap that you accumulated. And there you're standing there right. as, as you appeared to me that first day. Yep. This lovely man. Just had to shed that stuff, I guess, you know, sweep it up. We'll have other topics to come. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, as always, you can find us online on Facebook or Instagram, searching at Codependent Mind. And we really do appreciate if you give us a like or a follow or a review on any podcast platform that you can send.